Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. Welcome back, basketball history aficionados. This is Basketball History 101. And again, I've got in studio with me our producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. How you doing, Jacob? Good. How are you doing, Dad? Not bad. Not bad. So today's topic is all about Bill Walton, or I should say, a part of Bill Walton. Yeah, so we've we've had a couple uh, unique episodes. We've talked about Chuck Taylor and his shoe, mm-hmm. and... Um, the, the origin story of the Harlem Globetrotters, which is a little odd. The fact that we're not entirely sure what happened there. But I gotta say, this is the strangest episode idea I've come up with yet. It's all about Bill Walton's feet. What in the world is going on here? Well, the reason I wanted to talk about Bill Walton's feet is because he had such an unusual career. The guy is in the Hall of Fame, but he missed so many games due to injury. And I'll talk about this in more detail in the episode. But he only played about four and a half years worth of games and he missed nine years worth of games so he only played about a third of his actual career was he healthy so that got me fascinated because i said how in the world does a guy who plays so little still end up in the hall of fame and so i really wanted to explore that topic and as i got into it i discovered that he had really bad feet which is why he was injured so much So what did you find out about his feet? Well, I found out that a lot of the research that went into how to fix his feet is actually research and and information that is used today. And again, I'll talk about this more in the the actual episode, but yeah, a lot of what we found out or what the medical profession has found out about feet and working with him, the, the orthopedic surgeons that worked with him, is stuff that still carries over today and a lot of today's NBA players benefit from the research that was done on Bill Walton's feet. Well, that's really cool, and uh, I'm really eager to hear what you have to say about that, so uh, let's get to the episode. All right, let's go ahead and get started. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. The topic of today's episode all started with a question that I've had stuck in my mind since I was a teenager. How does a player who spent 14 seasons in the NBA with only two all-star selections end up in the Hall of Fame? Oh, and he also missed 60% of his games due to injury? If you add up all the games he played in, it adds up to just over five and a half years of basketball in a 14-year career. That means that he got paid for eight and a half years worth of games that he didn't even play in. This is the story of Bill Walton's feet. If it had not been for his feet, then players like Grant Hill, Steve Nash, Steph Curry, and Kawhi Leonard may have had their careers cut short due to their own ankle and foot injuries. 
Each of those players dealt with nagging injuries that were eventually resolved. Hill and Nash are now in the Hall of Fame, and I have no doubt that Steph and Kawhi are also headed for Springfield. You see, the thing about Bill Walton's feet is that they seem to have been designed by a supervillain with an evil sense of humor. From the knees up, his body is perfect for basketball. He's six foot eleven with extremely long arms. He had incredible balance and speed. And you know how some people say that white men can't jump? Well, Walton could jump. He could practically touch the top of the backboard. He had nearly every physical gift that an NBA player could ask for. But even more importantly, he had a mind for the game. If you've ever noticed, when you look at a list of anyone's top 20 players of all time, the list is filled with some of the most athletically gifted men to ever come through the NBA. But if you put together a list of the top 20 smartest players to ever play, it's virtually the same list, with just a few exceptions. The ultra-successful players like Bill Russell, Jordan, Magic, Duncan, Kobe, and LeBron are the rare few who matched ultimate athletic ability with some of the smartest minds to ever come along. Bill Walton was that kind of player. Unfortunately for Walton, below the knees, his body was designed to be a toll booth operator. When most people go jogging, the first part of the foot to hit the ground is the heel. The impact is then absorbed by the combination of muscles, tendons, and ligaments. And in most cases, everything is fine. But Walton's heels don't flex the way they're supposed to. Some of the tendons are simply too short. It's like stringing a bow with a string that just isn't long enough. It puts too much stress on the bow. In Walton's case, all of the impact from running went straight into the bones of his feet. It caused his bones to grind against each other in a very unnatural way. He was literally wearing down his bones with each step and jump that he took. And he took a lot. He put his body through countless training sessions and games starting at the age of 8 until he was 36 years old when he played his final season for the Boston Celtics. And what's so odd about this is that the condition is not hereditary. Nobody else in his family has this issue. His older brother Bruce was also a professional athlete. He played offensive line for the Dallas Cowboys. Walton would have over 30 surgeries over the course of his professional career. And stress fractures were not really well understood in the 1970s. Many of the procedures he went through were experimental. A ton of orthopedic knowledge about the foot and the ankle were gained from working on Walton's feet. Much of the medical knowledge used to treat players today come from the case studies of Bill Walton back in the 1970s and 80s. I could argue that Walton's feet should have their own place in the Hall of Fame as contributors to the game of basketball. Players today now recover more often and more quickly from similar issues and many go on to have full careers. But let's talk about Bill Walton himself. He was raised in San Diego, California by very academic parents. They had no TV in the house and they listened almost exclusively to classical music and were constantly reading highly intellectual works. Athletes, they were not. 
They could not understand why their kids wanted to go outside and play sports all the time. To the parents, it seemed so trivial. Why not come inside and read the works of Socrates or listen to Mozart? But little Bill Walton just fell in love with the game of basketball and felt its calling on his life. If you listen to him in interviews, he talks about the game of basketball in almost spiritual terms. He wanted nothing else but to grow up and be a professional basketball player. It gave him a joy like nothing else. He once went to a basketball camp in sixth grade where John Wooden was a guest speaker and he knew right then that he wanted to go to UCLA and play for Coach Wooden. At the time of this camp, Wooden had yet to win his first championship. Walton just really liked the passion that Wooden spoke with when talking about this amazing game. Walton himself would end up playing at Helix High School in San Diego and he won a championship there alongside his older brother Bruce. When Bruce graduated, Bill won a couple of more championships as the new leader of the team. Walton was recruited by every school in the country. He could go anywhere he wanted. As he would pour over these recruiting letters from schools offering guaranteed starting spots or money under the table, he would dump those letters in the trash and remove those schools from consideration. Any school offering him money illegally was not a place that he wanted to go to. He continued to annihilate Southern California high school basketball and was contacted by Denny Crum, who was still an assistant at UCLA under John Wooden. Crum came to see him play many times. However, Wooden has a general policy of never going to scout players in person. That was the job of the assistants. But in Walton's case, Crum convinced Wooden that he should make an exception in this case. So Wooden came to see Walton play and then later visited with the Walton family in their home. Wooden told Bill that he was not there to convince any player to come to UCLA. He only wanted players who already wanted to come to UCLA. And Wooden would not be guaranteeing anything to anybody. Playing time at UCLA is earned. This is exactly what Walton wanted to hear. At the time that Wooden sat in his living room, he had already won five championships. And in just a few weeks later, he would win his sixth. And it also didn't hurt that Walton's big brother Bruce was already playing on the football team at UCLA. It would be nice for Bill to be able to see his brother more often. And while at UCLA, he had one of the most successful college careers ever. He won the Naismith National Player of the Year award three times. The only reason he didn't win it four times was that at the time, freshmen were not eligible to play on the varsity. So he had to watch from the stands as the older players won the seventh national championship for UCLA. But after that, Walton was able to join the varsity and help them win their eighth and ninth national championship. He was the obvious choice with the number one pick in the draft held by the Portland Trailblazers. And that's when the stress fracture started. He only played in 35 games as a rookie and it wouldn't get much better after that. But in 1977, his feet held up pretty well. He played in 65 games and the entire playoffs as he led the team over the Philadelphia 76ers to win Portland's first and only NBA championship. He took home the finals MVP award 
and had one of the greatest single seasons in NBA history. His specialty was the outlet pass. He was an incredible rebounder and would often grab the ball off the glass and turn in one motion. He would then fire the ball out like a bullet. All of his teammates already knew that as soon as it looked like Walton had the rebound, to start sprinting down court and Walton would find you. But with each step and jump, he continued to wear down the bones in his feet. Then he began to bounce around the league a bit. He was moved to the San Diego Clippers, which was really more of a favor to him, so that way he could play in his hometown. But the team was awful, and Walton sat on the bench in street clothes way more often than he was there in a uniform. He subjected himself to surgery after surgery in a desperate attempt to finally fix his feet so that he could play the game that he loved at the level he knew he was capable of playing. In 1985, there was a chance for him to go to the Celtics and join Larry Bird. But he was under no illusions that he would become the star there. He knew that he was going to be playing as a role player. He even had a sit-down conversation with Robert Parrish, who was the Celtics' all-star center. And Walton told him that he was the starter and that Walton was there to be the backup and just do whatever he could for the team. According to Walton, this was his single favorite year of NBA basketball. Every single player on the team was focused on winning a championship. Any individual awards were of secondary importance. His feet held up magnificently. He played 80 out of 82 games that year the most in his entire career, and the Celtics steamrolled their way to a 16th championship in their team's history, and the second championship for Walton personally, and he earned his spot as a true Celtic. Anytime the Celtics bring back their alumni for a jersey retirement or some other important team function, Walton gets an invitation, and he's there with all of the other Celtic greats from the past. But then his feet betrayed him yet again. He only played 10 games after that championship, and he was done for good. He cried when he had to tell the team that he couldn't do it anymore. His feet could no longer take it. A few years later, he had surgery to fuse the bones in his feet. That would prevent future injuries, but it meant that he could no longer do anything active ever again. He does walk without assistance, but he can no longer hike, which was one of his favorite activities. He can't even shoot baskets in the driveway, which was his first love. But what to do next? Well, he turned to broadcasting. He was otherwise qualified to be a basketball commentator due to his deep knowledge of the game and experience as a player. But he also had a pronounced stutter, or a stammer, as it's known in some places. He hated being interviewed as a young player because he had trouble getting his words out. And now he was going to go into broadcasting, where he was going to be getting a lot of words out all the time? Well, he poured himself completely into becoming a better speaker, just like he did when he wanted to become a better basketball player. It was a lot of work, a lot of effort, and a lot of time. If you've ever heard him speak, he speaks in very slow, measured tones, like he's concentrating to make sure he pronounces each word correctly. 
Had he been healthy his entire career, we would talk about him in the same breath as Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Shaquille O'Neal, and Bill Russell. It's too bad his feet just could not take the beating. When he was healthy, he played the game at a level that few players ever reach. He really was that good. And if you love basketball like the rest of us aficionados do, then there is a bit of sadness that we didn't get to see him play more. I mean, it was a complete delight to watch him up and down grabbing those rebounds and sending the outlet pass. He really and truly was one of the greats of the NBA. So, here's to you, Bill Walton. We wish we could have seen more of you in uniform. So that's it for our story on Bill Walton and his feet. Join us next time when we talk about the time that Magic Johnson and Ronnie Cycli played one-on-one and why that's important. That's next time on Basketball History 101. If you like what you hear, please hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and check out our Facebook page. It's called Basketball History 101. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce when new episodes come out. So I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us next time as we mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.